We're thawing. I don't know. He's trying. We're trying. Thank you to the worship team for leading us. As we approach God's word this morning, let's bow before him yet again just to ask him to open our hearts and minds. Lord, thank you uh, for this church. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word proclaimed. We praise you. And so we ask now that your servant would speak only that which is true to your word and that we would receive it with open hearts, ready to follow you, Lord, in faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So it's Father's Day, and uh, much like Mother's Day, my sermon has nothing to do with fathers. So it was just, I wanted to be fair, so I had to. But I figured that I would start with sports, since many fathers appreciate that. so In sports, a good player and a good team must be well-rounded. Um, I don't like those who only think about offense. Only slightly better are those who only think about defense. We need both. Beloved, that's true about the Christian life, too. We need a good defense against the onslaught from the enemy. And there is an onslaught from the enemy. But we're not only on defense as God's people. We have a role to play in this world. And we're going to come back to this. I hope you keep it in mind. Paul's been building a case. He's really been laying a foundation for Christian living. And it all starts with knowing our Savior. And knowing that we are the product of his love. He has poured out his grace and his love upon us. Christ gave himself up for us. Specifically later in the chapter that we're studying this morning, we're going to be told that he did so to sanctify us. That means to set us apart as his own. In another letter, many of you are familiar with this, Paul says, You have been bought at a price. Now glorify God in your bodies. The price was the blood of Jesus. He paid for us. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is now interceding for us as our faithful high priest. And even more than that, he's reigning as our king. And part of what he does as our reigning king and our faithful high priest is he continues to intercede for us in sanctifying us, consecrating us, making us ready for his purposes. And that's what we've been seeing throughout this letter to the Ephesians. For that reason, he gave to us his Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul tells us we're new in him. We were dead in our trespasses. God made us alive, and he continues to work through his spirit in us to put to death the old man and to put on the new man, right? In fact, Paul in the second chapter here in Ephesians said that not only are we alive now in Jesus Christ, but listen to this. Part of our union with Christ is that we are raised up, and even now we in some way, are seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. That's who we are. 
That's who you are, O Christian. Paul says in Philippians, we're citizens of heaven. That's our identity because of Jesus. I remember years ago, a really long time ago, I was preaching through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And one of the, the main points that was made in one sermon that I remember, I don't remember any other sermons, but one that I preached. I was saying in that sermon that we are not, because I believe Paul's saying this there, we are not mere humans as Christians. We can't say, and I know that a lot of time we hear this even from Christians, we say things like, well, we're only human. No, we're not only human as Christians. If we are in Christ, we are spirit-filled, Christ-rescued, God-called people seated in the heavenlies. We read throughout the Bible that we are not of this world. We're in it, yes. We have responsibilities here, of course. But we are not of this world. Listen, I am not a fan of Christian bumper stickers. Partly because of the way I drive. I shouldn't admit that. But there is one bumper sticker that I like quite a bit. And that is the one that is, just has four letters, right? N-O-T-W, not of this world. That's an identity statement. It has to do with who we are as Christians. Beloved, I want you to stop and I want you to think and I want you to ask yourself, who am I in Christ? Who are you? According to the word of God, who am I as a Christian? What does it mean that I'm a Christian? Because Paul's been answering that question. We are chosen, we are called, we're saved, we're redeemed, we're adopted, we're cleaned, we're filled, we're empowered, we're sanctified. That's who we are. By God who pours out his grace on us. If you are a Christian, this is true about you. Even when you're stumbling. Even when you're failing. As Paul said earlier, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And here's what Paul wants us to see in this next section in Ephesians that we're going to cover. Knowing our identity in Christ will give us both our best defense and our best offense while living in a dark and difficult world that's out to destroy us. Would you open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians 5, we're going to look at verses 3 through 14, page 978 in the Sanctuary Bibles. You can grab one from this, under the seat in front of you if you don't have one with you. Please open up page 978, Ephesians 5. Keep your Bibles open as we work through the text this morning together. Hear now God's word. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Amen? May God bless the reading of his word. Our first two points are kind of about defense. Our last one's going to be more about offense. If you uh, turn in the bulletin to the back, you can ignore that outline there completely. Sorry about that. The wording has changed completely, so, sorry. Here's our first point. Don't do what doesn't fit. It's our first point. Don't do what doesn't fit. I know there's way too many negatives there, but it's okay. All this, beloved, starts with knowing who we are, and we find that, take a look at the end of verse 3. And here is what the Word of God tells you, O Christian. We're saints. That's Paul's emphasis here. These other things, these simple things that shouldn't even be named among us. Why? Paul says that's not proper to saints. It's not fitting. And that's who we are. We're saints. So part of the Christian life is all about us remembering who we are. Knowing what it means that we're Christians. And Paul's specifically saying we're saints. So what's a saint? Is it someone who has arrived? Is it someone who has a halo on top of their head? You don't see mine? I don't know. Is it, is it a pastor? Is it a missionary? Someone who has to go all the way to the other part of the world to, to do God's work and that's a saint? No. Beloved, every single Christian is a saint, is a, a holy one. That's what the word saint means. Every Christian is a holy one because, you see, it's not based on what we do that makes us a saint. It is based on what Christ has done for us. Can I hear an amen to that? That is our only hope, beloved. What Christ has done for us, it's he who separates us, he who sets us apart. He makes us saints. And what Paul is doing here is he is appealing to that reality that is already ours. You are a saint, so. And there are some things that are proper to us and some things that are absolutely not. Some things that fit and some things that don't. Beloved, I know that we're living in an age where propriety and decorum don't seem to even exist. But that's not true. They do. The world knows it's not true that those things don't exist. There are some things that are right and good and proper. But it seems like today pleasure reigns, rebellion reigns. The question is, does it reign in us? Here's what Paul says to the Ephesian Christians. Surrounded by a culture not unlike ours, a culture filled at that time with sexual perversion, immorality, greed, lust as controlling features. You know... If you want to get a picture of how bad the Gentile culture was with regard to sexual perversion, 
at that time. The Mishnah, which is the rabbinic writing, the Jewish rabbinic writings, didn't allow a Jewish woman to be left alone with a Gentile because a Gentile couldn't be trusted. Paul says, I know it's all around you. I know it's what you came out of. You're inundated with it. I know you're surrounded by it. It's the norm. Everyone else is doing it. I know. But that's not who we are. It doesn't fit us. Put it away. Let it not even be named among you. In other words, if someone is watching us, they should have no opportunity to look and see what we're doing and say, hey, there's some immorality going on. Hey, there's some impurity going on. Paul was aware of how difficult letting go of some of these things was for those that were living in that culture. What are the things that he's talking about? Look at your text there. What is it that we shouldn't see in Christians as saints? Sexual immorality. It's a broad term. It has to do with any sexual activity outside of the holiness of marriage. It would include things like adultery and sex before or outside of marriage. Promiscuity. I think pornography would even fit here. Impurity, that's another word Paul uses, uncleanness. One dictionary explained that this is basically the direct opposite of righteousness. Maybe it's not too distinct from sexual immorality, but it's broader, any perversion. In fact, look at the last of the triad, it says covetousness. Other places, that same word is translated greed, and I think that's a good translation here. It's the need for more and more and more an insatiable lust being controlled by our desires. Do these things make sense for a believer? No. They don't. They don't fit. We're saints. Together, these are the exact opposite of Christ's example of love by self-sacrifice because these things are self-indulgence instead. Instead of giving ourselves up, right, these are things in which we're constantly taking for ourselves, even what is not meant for us. And it was everywhere. It was the norm, even. Paul says these things don't fit us. We're saints. We're set apart. We're supposed to be different from the world. Don't do what doesn't fit. But there's more here because I think that many of us think that just because we're not engaging in that lifestyle, we're not doing those things that Paul lists there, that we must be okay, that we must be safe. But Sometimes I feel like we don't do those things, but we sure like to talk like it. Talk about them. It's not just the acts that we engage in, but the words that come out of our mouths. Look how Paul describes it there. And remember that Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he has come to change our hearts, right? When we make unbecoming jokes, when we use filthy talk, when we use obscenities, when we make sexual jokes, is that consistent with one who has the Holy Spirit dwelling in him? No. You know, we used to think things like, you know, a woman who curses isn't ladylike. Gone are those days, I know. But sadly gone too seem to be the days when Christians aren't making comments that sound just like the world. I even recently was watching something online where the pastor was making comments from the pulpit that I think would qualify. Crude joking comes from a Greek word that means something like turn of a phrase. It has to do with being witty. And so think about it, how often we excuse ourselves, right? Because what we said, though crude and sexual and impure, probably, well, it was witty. 
It's clever. What's the benefit? Some laughs, probably. Look cool in front of our friends, maybe. But all the while, grieving the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in us and is the one who set us apart. Don't do what doesn't fit who we are as saints. Paul says such language, such foolish use of words is out of place. That's another way of saying it's not proper. It doesn't fit. In fact, Paul says that if if there are words that should characterize Christians, they should be words of thanksgiving. Why? Because thanksgiving is tied to the concept of contentment, which is tied to our attitude toward God, that in Him we have enough. There's no need to go lusting after more and more and more. No, what we have in Christ is more than enough. One author said this, he says, Thanksgiving is almost a synonym for the Christian life. Beloved, how are we doing in that? How are we doing? See, beloved, what comes out of our mouths reveals a lot, doesn't it? Often we are all about self instead of being all about the Lord, and it's revealed in the way we speak. Now listen, it doesn't mean that every word that comes out of our mouth has to be Scripture, okay? That'd be kind of cool, but it doesn't have to be. It means the direction of our hearts being Godward should lead us to an awareness that all we have in Christ, or about all we have in Christ, and so our gratitude must run deep, and it must be evident in the way we interact. In fact, the whole Christian life is motivated by thanksgiving. Remember, it's not about what we do, but what's been done. And so now, because of what's been done, we're so grateful that now we do. The more aware we are of what we have in Christ, the more we want to honor him with our lives and with our lips. Paul adds this. Look at what he says. If we are reflecting the lifestyle of the world with our actions and our words, let's understand this. Those whose identity is this rebellion against the Lord, the sexually immoral, the impure, the covetous, he says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's no inheritance for them. In other words, they aren't kingdom people. They're under grace, excuse me, under wrath, not grace. So why would we, as saints under grace, look so much like those who are under the wrath of God? shouldn't be. Notice that Paul calls this covetousness or greed. He calls it idolatry. It's the worship of another God. We know this because we know that which we're lusting after, that which we want more and more of, it is that thing that controls us. And it's that thing that we value and it's that thing that we worship. Paul wants us to stop and think. Here's what I participate in. Here's how I think. Here are the words I use. Do they fit with who I am as a saint made new by a holy God? Beloved, that's part of our defense against the world's temptations. Ask, does it fit? And if it doesn't, don't do it. There's more, though. First, don't do what doesn't fit. Here's our second point. Do the light thing. Okay, that was my take on Spike Lee's old movie. Uh, I don't even know if I ever watched it, Do the Right Thing, but it's do the light thing. Look at verses 7 and on. Paul already told us that we are saints, but that's not all we are. Verse 8, we are light in the Lord. What does light do? It shines. 
It beams. What does it beam? According to Paul, what is good, right, and true. We, are, we were darkness. Do you notice how Paul lays that out? And I want you to see, he doesn't say that we were in darkness or we were covered by darkness. He actually says to the Christians, to the Ephesians, he says, we were darkness. That's who we were. That was our identity. But now the difference, the stark contrast, we are no longer darkness. We are light. Being darkness meant that we were of death, of ignorance, rejecting God. Being light, of course, is all those other things, good, right, true. It comes in the Lord because it has to do with being united to Christ. That's where all that comes from. But we now are light. Paul had earlier said, let no one deceive you. Don't be fooled. It's not okay to live like the world. It's not a secondary issue whether we Christians live like Christians. It's not an unimportant consideration. It's not something only for those who are really committed it's for all of us. In fact, beloved, let's get serious. 1 John 1 tells us that God is light and in him there is no darkness. John goes on to say that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Beloved, Paul's laying it out here. We cannot be partners with the world and in fellowship with God. Look back at verse 7 in our text. Do not become partners with them. Jesus says we can't serve two masters. Paul elsewhere says what fellowship has light with the darkness. Light and darkness don't go together. They oppose each other. And Paul's not saying... Do the light thing in order to be light. He's saying you are light, O Christian, so live like it. Paul's warning us not to partner with the darkness because he knows just how easy it is for us to give in and be shaped by the world around us rather than us shaping the world around us. Beloved, I, I hate to put it this way, but I believe we've been fooled. We've been duped. How much of the world is changing the church rather than the church changing or at least even standing out from the world? See, our, our, our defense has been really poor. We haven't been alert. We haven't been attentive. We haven't heeded what Paul is saying here. Don't become partners with them. Instead, it feels like we have invited the world right into the church, right into the heart of the church, not to come and see what's different here, but to come and change us so they feel right at home. Church after church giving in. Suddenly, instead of being the light that shines so that those in darkness can see Jesus, because isn't that what we're hoping for? So we can see truth and love God's way. Instead, we've bought into the world's views so they don't have any need for Jesus anymore. Because we look just like them. So what's the difference? And beloved, most of us may agree that this has happened with regard to sexual mores. And it has, church after church, giving in to the pressure to affirm everything that God, the designer, says is not good. From our view of marriage, divorce, sexuality... And more, but beloved, it isn't just sexual immorality that we've fallen prey to. Greed, consumerism, living for today, it fills churches, it shapes how we function. We seek comfort rather than mission. 
We live like darkness, but we're light. So much so, beloved, that we can't even tell anymore where the influence is. And I know that I'm guilty of it too. Look back at verse 8. Now we are light in the Lord. So Paul says, walk as children of light. Do the light thing. What does that look like? Well, goodness, righteousness, truth. That's the fruit of light. That's what beams out of those who reflect the real light, Christ himself. And note that Paul says that walking as children of light means that we discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And I believe, beloved, that we have got it all backwards. I feel like we wake up every morning and we think about how God is going to bless us that day. Instead, we need to wake up every morning and think to ourselves, because we know how much we've already been blessed in Christ, what pleases the God that we serve and how can we honor him today? What is that which is good and right and true? Let me pursue that today. His kingdom instead of my own. Because we have his light, we can know what pleases him. So we seek not to partner with darkness, but instead walk as children of light, desiring to please the Lord whose ways are good for us. He's not withholding good things from us. He says, you walk my way and then you will find joy everlasting when you go your own way, beloved, we've seen it. So stepping back, our identity gives us our best defense. Remember who you are. We are saints. We are light. Don't do what doesn't fit and do the light thing. Do what light does. What about our offense? Look at verse 11. Here's our third point. Shine to uncover. Shine to uncover. Verse 11 helps us to see that we're not only on defense. As light, we are to be on offense. Paul says, don't partake in darkness. Instead, we are called to expose it. Beloved, our lives and our preaching should expose darkness. Some think this has to do with other believers, so church discipline and how to love each other well in the church. I think that can be true. Others think this is directed toward outsiders. I think probably it can apply to both. In fact, by its very nature, light exposes whatever is around it. It makes things visible. We know this. It's the difference between looking at ourselves in a, a mirror with dim lights on and then those bright lights at some hotels that you think every spot and wrinkle can be seen now. Every last blemish. And though we don't like our blemishes, it's kind of nice to have that kind of light so we can see what we need to fix and work on. How often I've wanted to change and grow based on what I saw in another believer that was so good. It shone light on areas in my heart, in my life, that were not so good. The light exposed my thinking, my wrong-headed thinking, my wrong approach, what was unchristian about me. Not that they were stuffing anything down my throat. They weren't trying to expose me in a way that was harsh. But by living out the Christian life, it worked. And with their words, it was an encouragement. Here's what Paul is saying to his Christians. If we're living the way we're called to live as light, goodness, righteousness, truth. And if we're avoiding ungodly conduct, the contrast with the world around us will be stark. We're not saying don't use words. I think we ought to use words, but with gentleness. 
That contrast by itself will make some things obvious. It exposes when we're not joining in to laugh at all the sexual and crude jokes around us at work, when we're not participating in impurity and action or speech, when we're not coveting, we're not constantly going after the bigger, the better, the faster. Instead, we're thankful and content and generous and giving. What do you think happens to other believers or non-believers around us? Here's a true story from a famous book called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Some of you guys may be familiar with it. Here's an illustration that was found in that book. He says, a well-known professional golfer was playing in a tournament with President Gerald Ford, fellow pro Jack Nicklaus, and Billy Graham. After the round was over, one of the other pros on tour asked, hey, what was it like playing with the president and Billy Graham? The pro said with disgust, I don't need Billy Graham stuffing religion down my throat. With that, he headed for the practice tee. His friend followed, and after the golfer had pounded out his fury on a bucket of golf balls, he asked, was Billy a little rough on you out there? Pro sighed and said with embarrassment, no, he didn't even mention religion. Astonishingly, Billy Graham had said nothing about God, Jesus, or religion, yet the pro stomped away after the game, accusing Billy of trying to ram religion down his throat. Beloved, Billy Graham's light reflecting Christ simply shone too brightly for that man. Here's the question. Would ours have? Would ours have? Look, Paul's not saying... Condemn them, judge them, look down at them. He says, expose them because that's what light does. And because that is good for them. Because darkness incurs wrath and we don't want them to face wrath. Light reveals so that the real heart issues can be remedied. We Christians, by our lifestyles, should reveal the emptiness of the world's lifestyle. Our fullness in Christ, our, our joy despite our circumstances, our delight that comes from good things, not the endless pursuit of pleasure, should make the world around us wonder, why don't our pursuits ever get us there? And there's something important here for believers and unbelievers. The light of the Christian pushes other believers struggling with the world to turn back and it can be used to awaken even those who have not yet tasted of the goodness of Christ. Paul quotes what appears to be an early hymn grounded in the Old Testament or in Old Testament images. He says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. In other words, we Christians can be the tool God uses to shine the light of Christ, to awaken those who are sleeping. We were there. That's offense, beloved, but it's not offensive. It's offense that is attractive, but not deceptively. Christian marriages should be a light that exposes self-centered marriages. Christian pursuit of service instead of being served. Christian contentment in Christ and not in earthly comforts. Christian joy in the midst of suffering. Christian generosity. All of these should expose how unfruitful darkness is. And it is. As light with our lives and with our words, we should try to help those around us see just how empty and futile everything is without Jesus at the center. We shine to uncover what's really going on. We don't just cover up the darkness 
We don't let brothers and sisters dive headlong into worldly thinking and reasoning without shining a light in the darkness. We don't turn a blind eye to their inconsistency with their identity, nor are we afraid to admit ours. Because we're people of grace, trying to help others see God's grace. There's so much, beloved, that can be talked about here. So much to consider in what this looks like and what it means. Here's Paul's encouragement to us. This is who we are because of our Savior. Let's live it. He is with us. The Spirit's empowering us. So now, don't do what doesn't fit. Do the light thing. Shine to uncover. With grace and love, point people to the God who is love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would stop and consider everything that you have taught us in Ephesians thus far about who we are. And because we know we are saints and we are light, give us the strength to live like it. Help us, Lord, to take seriously this calling, our Christian identity. May it be our great defense against the bombardment that's coming, against all the the worldliness, the filthiness, the lewdness around us. Help us to be strong by remembering again and again who we are, saints, light. We also pray that it would be our offense, not in a way that harms, but a way that exposes a way that helps people to see the emptiness of the ways of the world, that they too might come to trust in the only one trustworthy, Jesus our Savior. So we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We pray the strength now to live it. In Jesus' name, amen.